All right. Well, good morning. Tell you what, I told the first group that I've uh, been preaching for 20-something years, weekly. Been here for a year, and this is the first time I've had to preach after a special message from Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> so I don't really know what's going to happen. And, uh, but man, I'm thankful, Kevin. Thank you for that word. Thankful to be here. Thankful for the opportunity to work. And just as Kevin said, with this incredible team, the staff, and to be with you guys. What a joy it has been for Allison and myself. Kevin, I appreciate you letting her know how good of a singer I was. I've been telling her for years. <laughs> Hadn't worked out for me. She hadn't believed it from me, but maybe you're expert here. Um, just incredibly thankful for how welcoming you have been. That's been the biggest thing for us, just how we feel at home and ready to serve. So many opportunities here as the Lord can use us to advance the gospel for the sake of Christ Jesus. So, and that's ultimately our desire. And it's true about, I guess it was um, December of 2020, Alice and I were wrestling with the decision of whether or not we would come here to Taylor's and we were invited to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. It was the first one he did after uh, COVID kind of opened up. And he went through all of his songs, starting from the beginning and going through all of them. And I mean, it was just glorious. It was just shy of heaven. And uh, he got to, uh, for the sake of the call, and it was just this clear reminder, God used that song in 1994, the late 1900s, excuse me. God, <laughs> God used that song then to shape me and call me into the ministry. And just a, a reminder that it is the Lord Jesus who writes our stories. And that what he's called us to do is to be faithful in the midst of it. And really, the book of Philippians is a testimony to that. I know that's a good segue, which shows expertise in preaching, but <laughs> the book of Philippians is really this case in point. Our history is littered with moments in time that change the world, right? Single events, and some of them happen in private, some of them happen in public, but our history is littered with moments in time that really reshape everything. And the book of Philippians is a testimony to that truth. We are clear about those great moments in Christian history. I mean, from the birth of Christ to his death and resurrection, of course, to Acts chapter 2 and the coming of Pentecost, uh, to Stephen being stoned and the gospel going out from Jerusalem because of persecution and it spreading from there to, to Saul being converted on the road to Damascus and, and, and now the gospel's going to the Gentiles. We've seen all of those pivots and moments that are huge in the life of the church that we look back to and say that was a, a changing, a redefining of everything. And we also have one that the book of Philippians points us to. Maybe one that's not as well known as every, for everyone, but one that we refer to as the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call in Acts chapter 16. You see, the apostle Paul had, had left out from Antioch on his first missionary journey and gone into Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he had traveled from city to city, establishing churches throughout that, that, that place. The questions arose as he established churches about the gospel spreading to the Gentiles even, and Paul saying yes, and so they all call back a meeting in Jerusalem to determine what's the, the way forward, and coming forward, they, they recognize that Christ Jesus came, suffered, and died for everybody, and the gospel must go to the ends of the earth, all peoples everywhere. 
And so having determined this, Paul goes back and he says, I want to go back and visit those churches that I established before and, and strengthen them and encourage them with this, with this word so they can take that gospel. And, and he starts his second missionary journey and he goes back. But what's interesting is Acts tells us in Acts 16 that every time he wanted to go somewhere, it says the Spirit stopped him from going. Or even it says the spirit of Jesus stopped him from going that direction. So Paul keeps getting stymied on where he's going to go. And we don't know what that is. He didn't tell us. Maybe it was a flat tire. Maybe it was a bad storm. Who knows what may have been. But Paul is saying, clearly, I am under the direction of Jesus Christ. I'm seeking to follow him. And he keeps stopping me from going where I think I should be going. Finally, Paul and his crew, uh, Timothy and Silas, they get to trust they're a port city right on the coast of Asia Minor, and they're praying what's next. They can't get any direction. And there in the evening, a vision comes to Paul, and a man from Macedonia steps up and says, please come help us. And Paul, it says, immediately, I don't know if that's in the middle of the night, he got everybody together or what was the case, but it says immediately he took off to Macedonia. Now, this is a major shift. Because Paul up until this point had been working in Asia, but now Macedonia is a part of Europe. You've got to cross the Aegean Sea. You've got to get over into Greece, into to that space. So now, for the first time as we know it, the gospel is leaving Asia and heading into Europe. Heading into that moment. This is going to change all of, of Christian history as we look back. That Macedonian call was this pivotal moment of the gospel moving forward out of Asia and into Europe. And as Paul comes into Macedonia, he settles at a city, a city called Philippi. Philippi was a city with a lot of colorful history, having been conquered by King Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, having been taken over by Mark Antony and, and Octavian as a Roman colony. Philippi was a, a, a rich and illustrious city, and so much so that Rome made it a central city in the part of their empire, just as much as any city in Italy may be, or Rome itself. Philippi was that. It was Roman in its essence. And there you had every choice you could imagine of gods that the Romans held to. They were faithful to the Roman deities and, and working there. And as Paul enters into town, his normal practice of going to the synagogue where they're reading the Old Testament and showing how Jesus is the Christ from the Old Testament, that normal practice is kind of thrown out the window because in Philippi, there's no synagogue. And so he's looking around and he finds some ladies led by this one, Lydia, who was a, a trader of fine purple goods. And they were there by the river testifying that, that there wasn't enough men. To have a synagogue in the city, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men there to form it. And so there wasn't enough, but it was Lydia and these ladies. And Paul steps out by the river and begins to share the gospel to them. Lydia and all of those ladies believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and they trust in him. Lydia says, y'all can come to my house. My house will be a center of the gospel here in Philippi. And we'll work from this place. And so then Paul begins to share the gospel and establish the church in Philippi. Soon he, he does like he always does. And a lot of these cities, you'll see it in other places, there was this slave girl going through town and this slave girl was being used because she had a demon in her. 
And that demon gave her some powers that, that were supernatural, if you will. So her owner was selling, uh, selling her, her words to others. And so he was making money off of her abilities with this demon. And Paul enters up to this slave girl and casts the demon out, freeing her from the bondage of sin and burden of the demons. So Paul does this. Well, the owner of the slave girl gets mad and orders Paul to be beaten. The magistrate says, beat him. So they beat Paul and they beat Silas and they throw him in prison. And now Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi. And that night, as we know, having been beaten there, Paul and Silas just simply begin to sing. I will praise the Lord, right? They begin to sing while they're in prison. And as soon as they began to sing and praise the Lord there in prison, the earth began to shake, began to shake in such a way that the whole city felt it. The bars popped open. The doors to the cells sprung open. The chains fell off all of the prisoners there in the cell. The jailer comes up and he pulls his sword out because he's going to take his own life, having been responsible for those prisoners. Now he's thinking they're all gone. But instead, Paul cries out, hey, brother, don't do it. We're still here. And let me tell you why. The apostle Paul shares Christ with the jailer. The jailer believes, goes home and shares it with his family. His family believes. They come in. They join in this fellowship the Philippian church is established. The next day, the magistrate comes and apologizes, having found out that Paul was a Roman citizen. Apologizes to him for no court, no, no process. And Paul says, yeah, you better get your act together, what have you. And soon thereafter, it says that Paul left with his group and went to Thessalonica to plant the church there. Now, the reason I go through all of that is to give the context of this sermon or this letter Paul is writing a letter some 12 years later. Some 12 years later, Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians again. The Philippians had heard that Paul was in prison in Rome. And they send one of their best to him, Epaphroditus, with a gift basket and some care packages and some other things. And Epaphroditus is sent to care for Paul's needs. And Paul's so thankful for this, having gone through it, he sends Epaphroditus back. And he sends Epaphroditus back with a letter. Now you can understand, this is no ordinary Sunday morning that Epaphroditus shows up to church now, right? Maybe he gathered together in the middle of the week with the believers there. The church is gathered together. Here comes Epaphroditus, and he has a letter from the apostle Paul. So gathered in this room, imagine it if you can. There was Lydia and all those ladies that had come to believe that first day on the river. There was the Philippian jailer and all of his family that had come to believe. And many more, probably even the slave girl herself who Paul had freed from demonic activity and led to Christ Jesus. All gathered in this place. All having known the ministry of Paul. All there because Paul and Timothy and Silas observed and listened to that Macedonian call and came. They're all gathered in the place. And while they're there, they read a letter, this letter to the church. And while no church is perfect, none of them are, Paul writes a letter to a people he loves. And he loves them with joy. And his joy for them is only surpassed for his joy in the Lord. All this is a testimony to God's power and his providence. All this is a testimony to Paul answering the call of God to go. And this church exists because Paul answered that call and God heard their people's cry. He saved them. And it's in this context, having gathered together with all of those, 
all of those who had come to Christ through the ministry of Paul and Philippi and the church had been established. It's in this context that they begin to read this letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And just as good as your word was that day to those Philippians, it is that good to us today. Just as sure and true as your word was then, it is sure and true for us now. For this is not just a letter from the Apostle Paul, but this is an inspired word from your spirit to us. And so, God, may we be encouraged just as they were encouraged. May we be strengthened just as they were strengthened. May we learn even now from your word in such a way that you would mold us and shape us into the people and the church you would have us to be. All for your name and all for your glory, we pray. Amen. The first thing we need to do as we look at this is, of course, examine the greeting. And just as I gave the introduction, as we intro, as we going into this series, there's, there's some of this work we need to understand that will be important throughout all of the series. Here, the writer comes first. That makes sense, right? We write letters where the author comes last. You got to read that first to see who's writing to you. You know what I'm saying? But not here. Paul and Timothy in this style, Paul and Timothy come first. Here are the authors of the letter. They had been with them, by the way. He includes Timothy because Timothy was with them in Philippi whenever they came. And now Timothy's still with Paul in Rome. So they're writing this together to them. They know them. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul wants them to know that this is the most important thing about him. His identity is found in this statement. Paul could have asserted so many things. So in this, you see some humility, right? Paul could have written a letter. Maybe there's some new believers who's come to faith, and Paul could have said, I, the apostle Paul, I'm the one that founded this church. I'm the one that was in charge from the beginning. It was because of my work that you believe, the, the founder of this church, the place where the one who's established it. He could have come with his credentials as an apostle. He could have come with all the things that happened to him. But Paul simply comes not with his credentials, not with any degrees earned, not with anything he's accomplished or anything he's done. He just simply says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And by all means, that's how we should approach this, right? Just simply servants of Jesus Christ. Paul says, that's, that's who I am. When I came to you from, from Asia Minor and I came over to Master, all I was doing was obeying the Lord. When I preached the gospel to you, all I was doing was obeying the Lord. When I shared these things and, and, and cast out demon from the slave girl and went into jail, all I was doing was praising and serving the Lord. That's it. That's who I am. So the Apostle Paul begins with his humility and braids that into his identity. He's defined by Christ. 
He's defined by Christ and his service to him. And this, I believe, Paul would argue, is the most important thing you need to know about him. That's why he offers nothing else, a servant of Jesus Christ. Servant of Jesus Christ. And he writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus. To all the saints. Here he addresses his letter to the saints in Christ Jesus. This saints is a New Testament word to describe every Christian. Every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a saint. It means holy one, set apart, set apart for him. Every one of them. There's no levels in Christianity. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God. If you're a child of God, you've been born again, then you're, there's not Christians and saints here in this thing. All of us have been set apart. All of us are saints of God, as the New Testament teaches us. We're put in that position, and how are we saints? We're saints because of the position we've been placed in. We are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, then you are a saint set apart. Understand this, that we don't find God in a building or a place anymore. We don't find God in a specific moment of time set apart during the week. We find God in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's where we find him. And so here, the very definition of what it means to be a believer is to be in Christ Jesus. That's what it means. We're identified in him. Paul does this over and over. He does it in Romans 6 when he's talking about baptism. We've been identified him in his death, burial, and his resurrection. He does this in Galatians 2 when he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He does this in Acts 20 when he's talking to the Ephesian elders. As he's leaving them, he says, not that my name or Paul does anything. I count my life as no value at all, only that Christ Jesus be exalted. Paul wants them to know that if you're a saint of God in Christ Jesus, that's the most important thing thing about you in the most special place for you to be in Christ Jesus. But not only that, he says there's saints in Christ who are at Philippi here. Not only are you saints in Christ, but you are located at a place in a place. You're the believers who've been gathered together in this certain location. You've been set apart by Christ. You are in him and you are at Philippi. Not only have you been set in Christ, you are at this place. You have gathered together in this way. Now, this helps us define what the church is, basically. There's two ways to understand the church. There's the church universal. That's all believers everywhere. Everybody who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. And today we celebrate the fact on this Sunday, the first day of the week, all over the world, in every nook and cranny, all over everywhere on this great earth that God has made, there are believers worshiping the Lord. The church is gathering together. And we celebrate that and we long for the day when the church will be finally gathered together in Christ around the throne. We long for that day. That's the church universal, all believers everywhere. But there's also the church local. The church local is specified here at Philippi. You are the saints in Christ at Philippi. Here you're at a specific location to do a specific work in that community and in that place. Called out amongst those who were in Philippi to do a work for the name of Jesus Christ to do a work for him. And in this sense, then we understand just as Paul was writing to the Philippians, he could be writing to us, the church here, all of us who have gathered together in Jesus Christ, all of us who have repented of our sins and trusted in him by faith and are found in Christ Jesus. We have gathered together as a church at Taylor's. We're the saints in Christ at Taylor's. We have been put here for a reason to reach not only this community, but the nations from this place. 
And so what we recognize is while we celebrate all those who are worshiping today in Christ, we think about all of those over our city that at this very hour are worshiping today, who we are not in competition with, but we're working together with for the glory of God. We celebrate all of those around the world that are worshiping even right now, celebrating that at the same time God has put us together here at Taylor's for the glory of his name. He has orchestrated this. And if you're a child of God here, there is nothing that is happenstance or chance about that. This is what God has done. And when Paul is writing to the Philippians, you can see that. He says he's trying to go other places. He was trying to go this way. He was trying to go that way. And the Lord stopped him at every turn. And the Lord said, you go to Philippi and you proclaim it. And God put that church together in that place for the glory of his name. That's the very same thing for us. This is not happenstance or chance. God has brought us together. We are the church of Jesus Christ at Taylor's for his glory and for his name. Notice that Paul says, I've established you. The two offices of the church are are listed. Overseers, which is interchangeable with elders and pastors. Overseers and deacons are there. Paul has established the church at Philippi and it is existing. It is there and he offers them not just greetings, but grace and peace. More than greetings, he offers God's grace, his unmerited favor in their life, and God's peace, that shalom, that spiritual and physical well-being that only God can give. Now, you look through this greeting, and it seems like you can pass this quickly. Two quick verses at the beginning, and you shoot through it. But just notice something with me. Notice the God-centered nature of this. The God-centered nature of how Paul interacts with the Philippians. He could have claimed some sort of authority over them. He was an apostle that began him, but he doesn't. He points them to Jesus. He could have mentioned how good and talented they are and all the gifts they have. And surely Lydia with her resources selling purple goods, which were high quality, surely he could have brought all of that up, but he doesn't. He says, you're in Christ at Philippi. He doesn't bring any of that up. And he surely could have offered some sort of greeting or word, but he says, grace and peace. That's what we bring. Nothing else. All of this is God-centered communication. And I would encourage you. I would encourage you to consider how you communicate. Is it communicating something to others that that you think you have attained something or you have done something or are you seeking to exalt yourself in this? Or through how you interact and communicate with others, are you exalting God, showing that he is everything in your life? Paul wants us to see that there is no self-centeredness for Paul and there's no self-centeredness for the reader. It's all about Christ and this is the church. A God-centered community of imperfect saints, dependent on God's glorious and amazing grace, who've been brought together by the Lord himself to partner in a particular area for the glory of God and the spread of his peace to the nations. That's what the church is. That's what we exist for. And Paul addresses them in this way here. Having done that, Having done that and offered up this peace and grace, Paul writes to them of how thankful he is. How thankful he is. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I encourage you, by the way, to be thankful. Paul puts this throughout, throughout his epistles. In all things, give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. With thanksgiving and joy, do this. Paul is always calling us to be thankful, and it makes sense, right? 
When the Apostle Paul is offering grace and peace, we recognize that the two things that are most precious to us, we did not earn on our own. The things that are most vital to our life, the things that define us most clearly, the things that, that become the most important things about us are not things we could have ever attained in our own power and our own strength. They were given to us by God's grace. And what we long for, the peace that surpasses all understanding, as Paul calls it in Philippians 4, what we long for and what we cherish were not things we could have earned on our own or we could have found in all of this world. They were all given to us by the grace of God. And so by all means, we as believers should come this day going, I'm just thankful to be here. I'm just thankful to be alive. I'm just thankful to know the Lord. I'm just thankful for his grace. My goodness, I'm just thankful to breathe because I recognize that even the breath I have is a gift from God. We should live thankful. And Paul says, every time I think of you guys, I'm thankful. I'm thankful when I think about you. And what is he thankful for? Two simple things he's thankful for. Paul says, I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel. Every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. As he remembers the church at Philippi, he's thankful for them for their partnership in the gospel. Every time he remembers them, he thinks about how they are on his side, working with him, praying for him, encouraging him, strengthening him. Here he's joyous. We talk here a lot about partnership, and rightfully so, because we recognize while we are the saints here at Taylor's, our mandate is to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are to go and reach the nations with them. And so what that means is we recognize that the scope of our calling is the world, and by all means, we alone cannot do that. So we partner with others to do what God has called us to do, right? We work together for the sake of the gospel. We partner for the advancement of Jesus Christ's name into the places that we sometimes can't even go. But there are some amongst us who are willing, and maybe some of you even now are thinking about that possibility, that it could be you that could go there and we'll be happy to partner with you. To take the gospel to the deepest and darkest places of the world, that's what Paul says. Paul says partnership is vital. I can't do it without you guys. And here in this passage, in this whole book, we kind of learn about what partnership looks like. Paul recognizes even though he's in prison in Rome, he's not alone. And why is that? Because he's got partners in Philippi who are working with him. And what can we learn about this partnership? First of all, it was centered in the gospel. The partnership was around the gospel. It wasn't around the character traits of Paul. It wasn't around his, his abilities and gifts and talents. It wasn't around some sort of strategic plan necessarily. It was around first and foremost the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 27 of chapter 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says, what I love about you is that we're working together for the faith of the gospel, working, striving side by side for the gospel. Paul recognizes that he couldn't accomplish the gospel on his own. He needs others with him. And so this partnership was one that was glorious for Paul because he was receiving strength and encouragement and the gospel was advancing in places that Paul could never get to because he had partners going there. He had partners going there. These were praying for him. They were nurturing him, caring for him. In the New Testament, we need to know 
that Christ not only draws us to himself, he draws us to himself through the gospel, but he also, as he's drawing us to himself, draws us closer together. So close that finally one day, as, Rome, as Revelation 7 says, we will all be gathered around the throne to that place where Jesus Christ is the center of all of our attention. So as we're doing that, he is drawing us to himself through the gospel and he is drawing us closer. We who were sinners have become saints by the grace of God. And we who are saints now look around you have become siblings with one another. From sinners to saints to siblings. We become siblings to one another. And if you're a child of God, if you're, if you're a, a child of the King, if you have repented of your sin and turned to Christ and you are found in him, then look beside you. Look around you. We're partners in the gospel together. We work together for this. We're not in this alone. You don't have to walk through this by yourself. We are in this together for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Partnering together for this. Any believer, anywhere, doing the work of Jesus Christ is our partner. Our partner, why? Because we believe in the advancement of the gospel. Paul's gonna say even this, I don't care how they preach it, whether in pretense or whether in sincerity, only that the gospel's proclaimed. Only that the gospel's proclaimed. But not only that, the Philippians had gone even deeper. He says not only is, the gospel, is this partnership gospel-centered, this partnership was material and personal. It was material and personal. They had heard Paul was in prison. They had heard he was in prison, and they sent some help to him. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Paul is going to speak even of a monetary gift that was sent to Paul from the Philippian church. He sent a, they sent a care package to him. They heard that Paul was in prison and they gathered up an offering and sent it to Paul to care for him. But not only did they do that, not only did they care for him financially in that way and offer up this gift to encourage him and strengthen him and help meet his needs during this time, they also sent somebody to go. He tells you in chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. In other words, not only did they send a care package to Paul, they sent Epaphroditus to strengthen him, encourage him, and care for him. You see how the partnership was deeper for them then. Not just prayer. They prayed. It says that in verse 19 of chapter 1. They prayed for him, but they raised up an offering. They sent him a care package. They loved him and cared for his needs. And they sent one of their best, Epaphroditus, to go to him and strengthen him and encourage him. And so now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back with a letter saying, thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your partnership. It was not just partnership in the gospel. That was the center nature of it, but it was material and it was personal. The money was important to help advance the gospel, but just as important was the personal encouragement they received from the Philippians. And this is a model for us, by the way. This is a model for partnership. This is teaching us what it means to be a good partner in the gospel that we encourage, not just through prayer in the center on the gospel, but we encourage through material and personal blessing and benefit that we have. Not only that, this partnership was ongoing. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. 
It looks different in different settings. It looks different throughout the years. But one thing was true from the very beginning until this day. The Philippian church remained committed and faithful to give resources wherever they were needed. Whenever they were called upon, they gave them until from the very beginning until this day, Paul says it continues. In other words, we don't leave our partners on the field without what support and strength, but we encourage them while they're there. We build them up. Why? Because they're advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ through that partnership. And this is the context, by the way, for verse 6. The verse you probably all knew, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will come bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The context here is not just for you as believers who the Lord has saved and redeemed and he's going to bring you to completion, but it's for the church itself and the ministry that the church is, is, is doing, proclaiming. God gave you this ministry. God will see this ministry through and he will bring it to completion. Finally and quickly, not only were they... Not only were they partners in the gospel, but they were partakers of grace. He says this down in verse 7. You are all partakers with me of grace. For Paul, this meant that the Philippians understood. They understood he was in jail. They understood that he was lonely. They understood the difficulties that he faced. They understood the pain that he was working through. They understood all of those things. Paul had his detractors. If you read the book of Corinthians, there were some saying that Paul didn't have the credentials he needed. Some saying he was not qualified. He was not qualified to be an apostle or be a leader. He wasn't there with the original 12. They were trying to, to set Paul aside and discredit his message, but not the Philippians. They knew that it was Paul who brought them the gospel. They knew of that Macedonian call that he answered. They knew of what God had done in him and through him. They knew of the grace that they have received because of the, what Paul has done. And just as Paul received grace on the road to Damascus, those Philippians had received grace there. They hadn't deserved it. They hadn't done anything to earn it, but God had saved them and came to them when they were lost and undone and they had no hope and they had nothing they could look to and they couldn't help themselves in any way. But still yet God redeemed them and saved them. He showed them grace. And Paul says, you get it. You know that I am absolutely dependent upon the Lord. You know because you are absolutely dependent upon the Lord. You know the grace of God just like I know the grace of God. And therefore, you understand what this is all about. This is all about the advancement of the gospel, not my own agenda, not my own status, not my own place, but all about the gospel and the grace of God that he has shown me, and I live a life to testify to that. He says, I live for that. The story of the Macedonian call the story of the earthquake that shook the city and rocked the jail. The shared experience that had taught all of them that they are absolutely and completely dependent on the Lord had taught them his grace. And they knew it together. All of us in this room have different stories. Every one of us have come from different places. And God is doing a work in each and every one of our lives. Some of us don't recognize it, some of us do. And we don't know what that is. And there's a lot of differences in this place. But the one thing is for sure, if you're a child of God and you've been redeemed by him, you know of his grace. And you know of his goodness to you. And you know that you didn't deserve it, yet he's been faithful to give it. You know of that. And so we come together on that basis, that understanding that our lives are completely dependent upon the Lord, not ourselves. It's him. It's him alone. Paul says, thank you. And as he closes out, he prays. 
They love Paul. Paul loved them. And as partners and partakers, Paul prays for them. I want you to love more. I want you to seek to know more. I want you to approve what is excellent. I want you to pursue after holiness and be blameless before the Lord. I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness for his name's sake until the day that Jesus comes back, Paul prays. Man, pray for that. Pray that for me every day, please. Paul says, this is what I desire for you. This is what I pray for you. Notice in this prayer, everything is from Christ. He's the giver of all the good blessings. Everything is through Christ. He's the one who sustains them, even in the midst of their turmoil and chaos. And everything is to him. Everything is pointing to that day when we will be with him forever. All to the praise of God, Paul says. All to the glory of God. Isn't this, by the way, these kind of relationships what we're looking for? Aren't we looking for somebody that joins together knowing us, knowing our story, knowing who we are, that joins together to reach the world with the gospel? Aren't we looking for that? Paul says that's what the church is. That's what it should be. To give us purpose in the midst of chaos. To understand here's our mission, here's where we're going, here's what we're going to do. To give us a grounding in the midst of a world of uncertainty. To give us a, a sure confidence that he who began it will complete it, right? And that this mission is not dependent upon us. All we've called to do is join in for the glory of God. He will see it through. And our confidence is not in ourselves or what we do. It's in him. That's where we look. And that's who we hope in. That's what we look for. This letter is addressed to all the saints in Christ Jesus, just like Paul's other letters. That means if you're a child of God today who has trusted in Christ, repented of your sins, this letter is addressed to you. In the context for all the promises and all the goodness that it bears, it's for you today. But it also means that if you're not a child of God and you haven't trusted in him, these promises are not yours. The assurance that it will bring to completion, you can't hold fast to. The hope that chaos will not rule, but, but the certainty of Christ and his reign, he's drawing you together. The grace that we know you have not experienced yet, but you can. The grace that is available to us and that was available to Lydia and the Philippian jailer and the little slave girl, the grace that came to Paul on the road to Damascus is the same grace that came to Josh Powell. When I was six, it's the same grace that you have experienced if you're a child of God. It's the same story. God is good and he is gracious and he redeems and we are testimonies of it. And he's put us together to let the world know that he's good and he's gracious and he redeems. That's our story. And we gather together for that purpose as partners in the gospel, as partakers of that grace. And if you are not a partaker of the grace yet. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Know that grace today. And I'm telling you, it's what you have been looking for. You may not realize it, you may not know it, but your sin that binds you up, that you may consider slight and little, those sins will condemn you to an eternal hell. But Christ gives more grace, a grace that is greater than all of our sin. Be a partner. Be a partaker of the grace today. There's nothing that is stopping you from doing it but calling upon him. And then partner with us. Join with us. 
for the purpose of the gospel so that we will see not just our own community be reached, but the nations be reached through that partnership. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for it is good. And your grace is sufficient. So I have no qualms and no hesitations today, Father, than to offer Jesus Christ the Lord to all who would accept him and believe. For I know, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, having partaken of that grace, I know, God, that in offering Christ Jesus, I offer everything that you could ever long for hope in. So today, Father, if someone is here has not partaken of that grace, may they know it today by trusting in Christ as their Savior, committing their life to him. And today, Father, if there's someone in this place that's looking for a place to partner together and grow in the gospel and reach others, may they find a home here. Offer your glory and offer your name, for you are good. And we pray this in Jesus Christ, amen. If you want to know the grace of God, I'll be here. Want to partner with us as a church? I'll be here to receive you. Let's stand together and sing.